leading through periods of change. We talked about just um, we talked about just before uh, during that growth clinic about different attitudes of change. As human beings, we're amazing creatures. We're amazing makers of meaning. Something happens to us in the world, and we decide whether it's good news or whether it's bad news. Yeah. And depending on, you know, you announce a change, you could go back to the guys and girls in your business and you could say, I've been to this seminar with HSBC and you know what? I'm going to double my business or we're going to double our business in the next 12 months. As some of your team are going to go, great, embrace it with open arms and are going to say, new opportunities for me, possible promotion opportunities. We're going to go into new exciting markets, launch new products. Wow, that's really exciting. And then there's going to be those others that dig their heels in, just like the donkey on the screen there, and it's a bad news. One question that everybody asks in those moments is, what's in it for me? Yeah? And what's the pre-programmed, the pre-programmed thing that the brain and the subconscious is looking for in that moment in time is looking to protect you, looking to protect them. It's about survival and about protection. And what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to paint the picture of whether this impending change is going to be good news. Because what's the default that they come up with in their own mind? The good news story or the bad news story? You go back and you explain you're going to grow your business. What's the default? Do they think and make the movie in their own heads of the good news or the bad news? Yeah, it's the bad news often case. So what we've got to do is we've got to shift it and change it in the mind. It reminds me of the story of an old boy who ran a ranch on the wild western frontiers of America. And one day... These three prize horses that do all the work on the ranch, pull the plows, etc., escaped over the fences and went, escaped across the prairie. And the village folk said, oh, you're so unlucky. Your three prize horses, they do all the work on the land. How on earth are you going to be able to cope without them? And the old boy goes, good news, bad news, who knows? And the very next day, the horses reappear on the other side of the fence of the ranch. And this big, stropping 19-year-old son that does all the work on the land with the horses goes outside of the, the ranch, gets the horses to try and bring them back inside the fence of the ranch. And in so doing, gets trampled on and breaks his leg. The village folks say, you really are unlucky. First, the horses disappear across the prairie. They come back and then your son does all the work on the farm, with the, on the ranch with the horses, breaks his leg. How are you going to cope? And the old boy goes, good news, bad news, who knows? So the very next day, the army come into town, conscripting all the young, fit, able-bodied men to go off to fight the war. Broken leg, not taken off to war. The village folk, you are so lucky. Your son not taken away for almost certain death. The old boy goes, good news, bad news, who knows? It's not what happens to us in the world that makes the difference. It's what we do with what happens. The role that we have in creating followership in our businesses is that we want to take people on a journey and bring them with us. Now, I'm going to just share with you some of the kind of behavioral idea and science that kind of sits behind this and just talk about some of, two of the fundamental drivers of human behavior to kind of bring this alive. And importantly, you will then be able to use this to help move and engage and take people in your organizations on a journey with you. 
So the two fundamental drivers of everything that we do can be boiled down to one of two things. And this applies to marketing messages, to the stuff that we do in our lives, to either move away from what we don't want, to move away from pain, or to move away to, to move towards, sorry, what we do want, to move towards pleasure. Here's a great example to bring this alive. Who here loves the snooze button on the alarm in the morning? Go on, be honest. Who here loves the snooze button? Oh, come on. I'm sure there's more people in the room than that. Okay, let's be honest. So who likes to press it more than once? Uh, more than twice? More than three times? I know somebody that used to press the snooze button all the way around the hour. <laughs> Why? Okay. So for those of you that like the snooze button, when the alarm first goes off, what does the thought of getting out of bed at that moment mean to you? What goes through your head? Pain, in terms of what? What goes through your head? If I get out of bed outside, it's cold, it's dark, what else? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's pleasure, it's cozy in here, it's warm and snuggly in here. Oh, I can have another eight minutes on snooze. What happens at the point when you realize you cannot press um, you cannot press snooze another time. If I, don't, if, I, if I press snooze again now, this will happen. And then you realize you can't do that, so you get up. So the point where you actually get up, what's the thought of staying in bed represent to you? If you stay in bed that bit longer, what will that mean? Pain in terms of what? I'll be late, I'll miss a key meeting, it won't be a good example to my employees, or, you know, um, etc. Or I'll be behind on the day. So in that moment, the pain of staying in bed is greater, so the pain of staying in bed is greater than the pain of getting out of bed, if that makes sense. And that's what triggers the action. So those people tend to be what's known as a way-motivated people. Some are more motivated to go, go towards what they want. So for those of you, I bet there's people in the room that actually you get up even before the alarm goes off, yes? You never dream of pressing snooze. So for those of you that get up even before the alarm goes off, Let's discount the fact that you might have kids that have an influence on that, young children. Um, what goes through your mind at the prospect of staying in bed any longer? For those of you that just jump out of bed and get on with your day, what goes in through your mind about the prospect of staying in bed? Loss of, loss of time. Great, what else? Letting people down, what else? I'm going to get behind with key projects. And if you do get up there and then, or even before the alarm, what's that going to give you? Pleasure in terms of what? What? I've got, oh, I've got time for breakfast. I've got time to just sit and read the paper. I've got some satisfaction. I'm ahead of the game. I'm ahead of my day. Yeah. So how does this apply and how does this idea of pain and pleasure work to us? When we're wanting to shift people and engage them emotionally, we have to attach pain to stay, staying stuck, staying doing the same old, and pleasure to the new world that we want to be in. Yeah, most people, when they're fearful of change, they're fearful of loss because they think that the new world is going to be painful and the existing world is nice and cozy. And what we have to do is demonstrate to them that if we stay here now, these are the consequences. If we don't innovate, if we don't grow, if we don't look to improve our service, if we don't embrace with this, the digital trends, then we're going to lose contracts. We're going to lose our lead generation is going to dry up. Our pipelines are going to dry up. We're going to lose security in our company. So you've got to create enough reasons why change is a must and why change is a must now. And then enough upside, pleasurable benefits of why the change is going to mean good news, is going to result in pleasure.
So we want to shift people from the away from, from the negative by telling them and painting the picture of the consequences of doing nothing different and the upside and the benefit of going along the change. Now we all go through a fairly predictable journey through that. This work was initially pioneered by a lady called Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her work looking at human responses to grief, to bereavement. And um, these guys, Hops from Scully and Stafford, then took the same sort of initial work and then applied it and did some studies in the world of business. And there's an emotional journey and a response that people go through. And I want to give you a real-life example. I worked uh, in 2013 um, with Ford, in 2012 and 13, with Ford Great Britain, or their wholly-owned retail subsidiary called um, uh, Ford Retail, now known as Trust Ford. And... Uh, I did a piece of work with the franchise in Northern Ireland, and um, in 2013, all of a sudden, the second-generation family business that had run the franchise in Northern Ireland went bust. Shock. Hey, we're out of the worst of the recession. Uh, we've just gone bust. I cannot believe it. Second-generation family business. Can't believe it. Stunned. For Great Britain, the border's out. Our jobs have been saved. That's amazing. Whew. Oh, that's good. Um, denial. They're gonna, the guys and girls on the mainland are going to leave us alone, aren't they? They have done for two generations. We're going to be able to carry on as we used to over here in Northern Ireland. Uh, anxiety. What do you mean you're going to implement a new set of IT systems? What do you mean it's the second new regional director in six months? Anger. You guys can't manage your way out of a paper, paper bag. You're now on your second major IT installation in, in the space of 12 months. You're on your ninth regional director in the space of 18 months. Do you guys really know what you're doing? And that was what I was greeted with when I went over there. That some people were genuinely aggrieved. And they were stuck at the bottom of this loop here, this depression loop, bouncing around. They were punch drunk. They were anaesthetized to what was going on. Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm going to show up in person, but to, I'll, I'll be there in person to clap my paycheck, but I'm not going to be there in heart and, you know, heart and mind and in spirit. So when see people are stuck like that, when people are hurting like that, the first and foremost thing that we need to do is we need to listen and let them get stuff off the chest. And there are different stages, different things you can do at different stages, which I'm going to take you through in a moment. But I listened I wanted them to talk. I wanted them to get stuff off the chest. And I said, you're right. You're right to feel the way that you feel. So when somebody's talking to an external person or somebody in management and they're building themselves up for the fight and you tell them they're expecting you to tell them they're wrong and you say, you're right, what does that do? I think rather than deflates them, it just takes the heat out of it. Yeah? They just kind of take, okay, okay, great. Unless somebody understands, psychologists call it, You've just about validating somebody's feelings. You've listened, you've understood, you've been empathetic. So I said, and you've got a choice. If you're stuck in this place here, it's probably not a nice place to be inside your own head at the moment. No, it's not. I bet you like a bear with a sore head. Yes, I am. What do you like at home with the people that matter the most? I bet you're not so pleasant there either, are you? Well, no. So I said, you've got a choice. And now I started to invoke the pain and the pleasure thing. You've been right to feel aggrieved for a period of time, and it's a natural human process around feeling, you know, a, 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 a loss or something. But there has to come a time when you draw a line in the sand and you stop throwing your own pity party. 
You decide, and it was just before Christmas, I said, you decide you come back in the new year, you decide whether you're on the bus or off the bus. I would suggest you do it before Christmas for the sake of your families. Stop throwing your own pity party, and I'm pressing the pain buttons, by the way, because you're not being fair, you're malpracticing the people that are closest and nearest, dearest to you. And I want you to decide whether you're on this bus or not. And if you are, that's fantastic. If you're not, I understand why, and there'll be other places and opportunities for you to work that's a better fit for you. I wish days there was a guy at the side of the room. He was kind of climbing himself up some stacked chairs. His fist was coming up. I'm looking for the fire exit. And he looked like he was literally going to launch himself and hit me. And at, at the end, he came up to me and said, you know, you made me very angry. And I went, yes, I know. He said, you said the very thing that I least wanted to hear, but most needed to hear. I'm on the bus. Sometimes we need to wake people up from the cycle that they're in by applying some pain to the consequences of staying stuck and some pleasure to the upside of moving beyond that. 